0: Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month we interview experts in the field, discuss the data and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4 of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, Trebs Chief Market Analyst. We all know home prices soared during the pandemic, but even though prices have come down in recent months, limited supply means that affordable housing remains out of reach for many. Obviously, bringing on more housing supply means building more homes of various types. In the City of Toronto and other municipalities in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, each new housing unit constructed is subject to a development charge. Recently, the City of Toronto increased development charges by 46%. These fees are meant to cover infrastructure costs and support the aging population. But what impact does this have on the cost of a new home? At the same time as development charges are increasing, home builders are also faced with sky-high construction and material costs along with a shortage of skilled labor. Many warn that this fee increase will worsen the GTA's housing supply issue. It could result in a decrease in the number of desperately needed new developments, an increase in the cost of new and existing homes. To learn more about these issues, I'm joined today by Richard Lyle, president of ResCon. Welcome, Richard. It's great having great. you on the show today.
2: Great to be here. Thanks, Jason.
1: And I think maybe, I mean, we've done a lot of work together, Rescon and TREB over the years in terms of, you know, joint research. And, um, you know, I took part in a in a, in a forum that, that Rescon had uh, during the spring. And I think, you know, our organizations are aligned on, you know, the need to have a sustainable supply of housing as the population and the economy continues to grow in the GTA and and, and broader GGH and even the, the province of Ontario. But, you know, just to make sure, you know, some of our, our listeners uh, may. Not know exactly what uh, what ResCon does, so maybe you can give us sort of a brief introduction of of what your organization does and 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 you know who its members are.
2: Sure, happy to. ResCon's a council of builders, and uh, that's our membership. Uh, we do have a other council that we run, which is with our subtrade associations and plus. We were also founding members of a few alliances, like the Construction and Design Alliance, which includes architects, engineers, and so on, and the planners, and, and uh, of course, the Ontario Skill Trades Alliance, because we're very active in that area. And uh, what we're all about is about the building of buildings. So anything to do with the actual construction of buildings is uh, where we come into play. You know, human resources issues. We've got various partnerships with colleges, one with the University of Toronto Engineering. Uh, And uh, we also sponsor, you know, research on housing. And we have a, we're part of an infrastructure alliance to ensure, as best we can, that we have the infrastructure to support housing. So the council has got about 200 members, uh, larger players in the industry. All forms of housing. We 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 build it all. You know, we build uh, you know whether it's a nonprofit, uh, purpose built rental condos, low rise housing, the whole thing, and uh, and and of course all the technical standards related to that.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting because really what you're talking about here is, is, is all the inputs that go into, you know, creating a, a new condominium apartment or a, or a townhome or a single detached home. And, you know, we did a study a number of years ago at Trab looking at the economic impact of the housing industry uh, in the in the GTA and, and Ontario. And obviously, a lot of that impact um, are those sort of local inputs. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, you know, employed in, in some aspect of a of residential construction all the people that are employed in in, in producing those inputs uh, um, you know the, the various pieces of a home that, that that get that get put together and so you know when we're talking about housing supply and, and, and housing as a as number of uh, people and, and households grow in the GTA I think it's always important to also point out um, you know what a huge economic impact. Um, you know the the housing industry and in, in bringing on new housing supply has um uh, on our overall regional economy and a lot of those inputs are very much local uh, whereas under other industries are, are are much more dependent on imports and so a very important um you know sector of the economy in the in the gta and and that's why i think it's important you know moving on to the next question i have for you and, and sort of narrowing in on the topic of, of housing supply i mean what are your thoughts on on how we can bring more supply online especially you know what's been dubbed missing middle housing over the last few years and and what are the challenges developers face right now in in in, in creating that supply
2: well you know right now we're kind of in the midst of a perfect storm and uh with uh, all the various uh, things that are happening geopolitically and within our own economy and inflation and covid and all of these things uh, you know our industry of course, reacted to covid Immediately, uh, we fought to stay open and did stay open, Uh, and we came up with the first safety protocol of any industry or any organization for addressing COVID. We were convinced we could keep working, and we were also convinced that we needed to because we couldn't make up the lost time with respect to housing supply, And, and housing is a need first and foremost. Shelter is a need. It's one of those fundamental things in life that you have to have. So, uh, and then where we were coming from though is interesting because I look back, I mean, you can look at various touch points to see where did the housing supply crisis really start? Like, what were the problems? And we've had problems, you know, we had problems back in the 90s, we had problems in the 80s, but really it started with the advent of growth planning and the the you know the problem with our growth planning was they dropped the ball on demographics. So we've seen this coming for some years. We were very active in the area of housing supply well before COVID hit us. And then COVID had, of course, as we know, an extraordinary and unpredictable effect on the market. Right. But the bottom line is, we have not been building enough housing for many years to meet our demographic requirements so as you know in economic terms we we uh, market equilibrium has eluded us because uh, you know we've had high demand but more limited supply and of course as you know Jason that means your prices go up it's as simple as that so we've been working on um uh, various and and there's there's no silver bullet solution to this thing it's a, it's a multiple of different initiatives that are needed to fix our housing system, and we've been working on those. We know it can be fixed. We know it's happened in other jurisdictions. It's just, uh, you know, we've had some extraordinary problems here and, and continue to have extraordinary problems.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you make around sort of the growth plan and then and then demographics because, because certainly you know one of the things that that came into being um, with the advent of of uh, of growth plan in Ontario you know was a was was sort of a dichotomy now of of the types of homes that were being constructed you know you had sort of the traditional single family detached home on on, on one side, and then the construction of of larger and larger condominium apartments on the other. And that's kind of how, you know, the trend unfolded over the last, say, decade um, or two. But then when you're thinking about demographics, you know, I think about it at both ends of the spectrum. So on the one hand, you know, we did a study um, with Cancia a few years ago, and then the City of Toronto kind of built on top of that, where, you know, this notion that uh, more aged households were going to sell, say, the detached home that they are in, and, and and move into say a condominium apartment. It really hasn't come to pass, and and I think some of that has to do with you know improved health. People are living longer and able to 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 live in a traditional home for for a longer period of time. But even more importantly. Um, it wasn't true that people were just ready to make that leap, say, from the neighborhood they'd lived in for two or three decades um, into something you know, very much different. They'd like to move into, say, perhaps a, a smaller home or, or one that more fits their, their lifestyle. Um, but they want to do it within their existing neighborhood, which sort of brings about that, that, that concept of the missing middle, the, the types of homes that are, that are bridging the gap between traditional single family homes um, and condominium apartments. And even at the other end of the spectrum, this notion that, you know, younger people are going to, say, embrace the condominium side of things with with, with more vigor. I mean, I think a lot of the, the survey work that we've done in conjunction with Ipso still suggests that, you know, a lot of people are, are focused on, you know, some form of ground-oriented housing, which, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum where, you know, it may not be a detached home. If you had the option in an existing neighborhood to say purchase a townhome or stack condominium apartment or, or a lower rise um, type of uh, uh, apartment, there'd be a lot of you know interest in that. But you know there there's been a struggle um, to to bring that type of housing online. And I think if we were having this conversation five years ago. Um, you know, I think I think it would be a tougher sell to, to to policymakers, but I think over the last say two or three years, you know, there's been more buy-in at the at the different levels of government.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. Uh one point I'd like to make is this whole supply debate, you know, we're finally out of the woods on that. I mean, yeah. for a long time we had people saying, "No, we don't need more supply. You need to help people with down payments. You need to do this or the other thing or other programs and policies which You know, basically have failed. Uh, And uh, we're finally now at a point where we've got all the political parties and all levels of government recognize and have stated that we have a supply crisis. And the 1.5 million homes in the task force report has been peer reviewed since then. Uh, not necessarily by people allied, uh, you know, uh, obviously, with the with the government of the day, but, you know, the 1.5 million number is real, and the uh, the demographics are real. So, you know, how do how do we get there? Now, that's really going to be the big challenge. And uh, the other thing is, you know, how do we build the housing? You know, I was brought up, uh, to, to To with the you know one thing in mind, leave it a better place than which you came into it. Right. And uh, Certainly for the next generation, you know we we failed them on housing, and uh, and when you and, and one of the problems is you know we've identified that there are forty five different government agencies involved in the approvals of housing in one form or another. We also know another metric of, amongst developed countries we rank 34th out of 35th in in getting things approved. Um, Those aren't good metrics. We also know from the G7, we've got the highest rates of immigration per capita, the highest cost of housing per capita, and the lowest amount of housing. Uh, You know, so um, we have not uh, uh, planned properly to meet our promise, put it that way, you know, because... We, we do occupy one of the best pieces of real estate on the planet. There's no doubt about that. Um, but we just haven't connected the dots on ensuring that we've got the housing to support the growth. And that's the challenge before us. And so a lot of things have evolved uh, quite nicely recently, you know, with the the provinces on board now, and now with Mayor Tory, with his uh, proposals yesterday has you know clearly indicated and rightly so that there are significant changes that that are needed to produce the housing we need to support our growth. And the funny thing is, you know, the nimby's who you know want to stop housing, block housing, and their allies, and they're you know unfortunately there's a significant amount of people active politically that will support that because. You know, rape pairs do make a lot of noise and they do make a lot sure. of, they, you know, they contribute to parties. Right. So or and and also to politicians and um, and uh, they have carried the day. Uh, that's changing now, of course. You know, we've got some millennial groups that are active now. Young, bright people are saying, you know, they don't want to move. They don't want to go to Austin yeah. or Calgary or wherever else like that. They want to stay here. Sure. But they sure. want housing. And they're saying, hey, what's wrong with this picture? And they're smart enough to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, We've been in an interesting year, right? I mean, we had the federal election at the end of last year, and then we had the provincial election, and now we're very close to the municipal election. And so everyone's obviously, you know, picked up the housing ball and, and rolled with it from to, to one degree or another talking about, you know, policies and what we need. And, and you're right, you know, a lot of people talking about supply that probably wouldn't have been, uh, say, five years ago if we were having uh, this 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 discussion. But what do you think about the the dichotomy between, say, the province and, and, uh, and, and municipal? municipalities, you know, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of initiatives underway. People seem to have embraced this concept of the missing middle. You have all the transit infrastructure that's being built right now and, and talking about, you know, station area planning, transit oriented communities and what have you. Um, and that's all on the positive side of the ledger, but then on the other side where we've seen a little bit more debate is that relationship between state the province and, and municipalities. We've had debate around municipal zoning orders, um, strong, stronger mayor, um, you know this type of thing so how do you see that unfolding as you move towards the the municipal election that kind of provincial municipal relationship
2: well you know i think the province uh first of all i mean the province gets it you know they've had we had the more housing more choice act we had the more housing for everyone act we've got the most recent act bill 109 Uh, They've been, uh, you know, you've had those municipal zoning orders quite often at the request of municipalities who can't deal with the problem because of their political issues. Of course, that gets missed. And, you know, the the Minister Clark has been attacked for that unfairly, but they've, you know, they've done the right thing. Has it been perfect or whatever? No, not necessarily. But by and large, these have been moves in the right direction and um, uh, and you know uh, we we need uh, we need the housing so to unblock certain projects has been important but it's really you know the MZOs are and the use of them are really you know that's that's a red flag it's a sign that systemically things aren't working properly uh, so so we you know those things need to be fixed and there's quite a few of them. Uh, and I think the, um, uh, you know, like the most recent development charge issue in Toronto, you know, the 46% increase, uh, you know, is a reflection of, um, uh, of what's wrong with the system. First of all, you got a city that's looking for money, and that's one of the tools that they have at their disposal. Uh, the problem there is it's an overworked tool, and it's it totally regressive and inequitable. I mean, the increases in DCs and taxes, fees, and levies in the last uh, just over a decade have been between 800 and 1,000 percent. I don't think people's incomes have gone up that much, and of course, those kinds of fees are borne by new renters and buyers. Now, you know, of course, more recently they're saying, "Well, we'll exclude the purpose-built renting rental housing," which is great from the increase in DCs. Sure, uh, but. You know, we won't exclude the new buyer market, which you know logically is completely inconsistent. If you you know you, you have a housing need, the demographics pretty much the same. Why would you treat one this way and that one that way? Now, by the way, I'm all for purposeful rental. Uh, we need a lot more of it. We haven't built enough of it for a long time, and that's one of the many problems. And then on the on the zoning side of things, you know, we've got an antiquated zoning system. We've got a dysfunctional market because, as you say, the missing middle it remains missing. Uh, you know, I was on a panel with Paul Bedford, former commissioner of planning in Toronto, I think it was two decades ago, and we were talking about the corridors and avenues, and the, Toronto had already done a number of studies on that, uh, where you really needed, as of right zoning along those corridors and avenues, to take, take advantage of those mass transit uh, um, uh, services that are available there. But what happened? Well, nothing happened. So, and that's where you get back to the the, the baby boomer seniors who are not moving out of their houses because another the, probably the biggest reason there's no choice. Yeah, where are they going to go? You know, Arizona. I mean, some of them have. But, you know, <laughs> the, the the fact is, those six story buildings with the main floor retail, fruit stands, nice community, nice apartment where you could still have a guest bedroom for kids visiting or whatever else like that that's downscaled more amenities and services that doesn't exist we haven't been building that stuff and people say oh well you got 260 cranes in the air in toronto that's great you're so successful actually that in itself too is a sign of dysfunction because what we've done is we've jammed development into certain areas in the interest of you know, preserving these sacrosanct single-family neighborhoods, which is 70% of the land in Toronto. And uh, and so what do we have? Well, we've got exurban sprawl now, of course, mm-hmm. because we've preserved those, and we've got lots of high-rise. I love high-rise. I mean, it's fantastic, and we're very good at it, but but that whole middle ground is gone. So we've actually created uh greenhouse gas issues and things like this because of our bad planning and our inability to recognize that we need to change and evolve you know you can't have jane jacobs villages forever if you're a growing metropolis and they talk about toronto being a city of the future and a smart city and stuff like that well you know we got to start walking the talk on this stuff and that's i think where we're finally getting to because we finally hit a wall. And unfortunately, as you know, Jason, sometimes you got to hit a wall before you, you you really get some changes. And we, we've we hit that wall.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, we did a study in conjunction with urban strategies uh, um, a couple of years ago, looking at, you know, <clears throat> what what are some alternative types of housing um, that could be built in existing neighborhoods that would provide, you know, some medium density alternatives for, for people. And, you know, you look through that report And those options are pretty good. And, and, you know, when you look at it, you know, outside of sort of that neighborhood construct, you say, well, you know, how could, you know, people sort of be against this? And and I think there is sort of an educational um, aspect to this to sort of get more people on on side, but even moving beyond sort of the missing middle and just thinking about, well, you know, bringing more housing online, the 1.5 million, you know, deficit that we're facing right now in terms of of homes that we have to, that we have to make up and thinking about development charges and, you know, the announcement from the city of Toronto that we're going to see a, a 46% increase in, in, in DCs and maybe talk a little bit more on, on how that, you know, impacts housing support uh, affordability and also you know the ability to bring on more supply and and even how effective that is as a revenue generation tool versus you know other options that that, that could be looked at at the at the municipal level or even drilling up to the provincial level as the case may be.
2: Well, you know, as a revenue generating tool, it can work and has worked so long as the market kept moving up. Uh, of course, when I said you know we hit a wall. Uh, you know, those prices are now stalled. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, because the circumstances so and it will work to the extent that the market will carry those additional costs. Right. Uh, and uh, and I think that uh, one of the problems, of course, with things like DCs and these unit based costs is they are regressive. They're not income tested they're inequitable because you know when they, you know it's it's always amazed me when people say growth should pay for growth well in a residential context what you're saying is the new home buyers and renters and even to a certain extent you know social housing providers and nonprofits are paying for the growth those new tenants are paying for the growth because we're driving up the costs and you know it's it's not sustainable so the most recent 46% was almost kind of surreal now you know, I have the benefit of seeing uh, what's coming down the pipe because you know we're in a period of rapid change right now, where the data is only catching up with events. But when I was, uh, you know, I deputed in front of the executive committee of the City of Toronto, and I just said, like, this isn't, this isn't real, and it's not right. Uh, and um, you know, for the building industry. You know, uh, many of them got projects rushed to get projects in under the wire, you know, sure. in, in advance of the trigger date. But down the road, what is it going to mean? Well, when you know, when you're pricing a a project, uh, um, you have to factor these things into it. And something like a 46% increase, that can be a, a project proponent's profit margin. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> I always laugh when people say, well, you know, the industry's making a profit. Well, you know, any business has to make a profit. I mean, after all, we, we do live in a market economy. If you're yep. running companies that aren't making a profit, you're not going to be in business for long, right? That's right. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a little problem with our education system there in terms of teaching that, you know, profit is not a dirty word, but you, you've got it, you got to make it work. And, uh, you know, a 46% increase just when, you know, like the industry just came out of some strikes and battles over wage increases. uh, And, uh, you know, we've got supply chain disruptions, we've got uh, material costs that are all over the place, um, you know, to, to throw something like that on it, when the development charges were already pretty stiff anyways, I mean, let's face it, highest in North America, right? So, uh, oh, but then, you know, I was, it was pointed out to me, well, the city of Toronto is still lower than some of the 905 municipalities on development charges. And I thought, wow, there's a great comparison. You know, uh, <laughs> like I actually made a comment. I said, I said, I was on an interview and I I wanted to get a copy of it. I couldn't, but they, uh, I said, that reminds me of a bunch of dodo birds comparing their running shoes as they run off the cliff. You know? <laughs> um, you know, like where are we where are we going with this and who's going to pay for it and do you realize that the people that will be most affected by this are the ones that are just on the edge of affording that apartment or affording that new unit and this is going to knock them out cuz it's a per unit fee and uh and growth pace for growth is a perversion of economic development factors right everyone Benefits from growth. And in fact, if you if you don't make sure you have the housing, you might not have that growth for long. And then you've got other, you know, this is where, you know, you can see the NIMBY's waking up and saying, hey, my value of my property is going down. Yeah, because there's no growth because you wouldn't allow it, you know, this kind of thing. So it's you've got these circular effects. Yeah. But but the 46% didn't make sense. And the other municipalities quite often sometimes follow Toronto on this stuff, just like, you know, the inclusionary zoning, it doesn't make sense. Uh, the way it's set out, inclusionary zoning, in principle, is a good idea, I think, socially. But, but you know, what they've done there, again, doesn't make sense, because they're saying, well, we're going to make the other um, buyers in this case, because now it looks like they're excluding the renters, which is good. But again, then you run into that logical inconsistency, is if you're going to exclude the renters, why wouldn't you exclude the other ones from it, and it doesn't make sense, anyways, because again, it's um, you know, not income tested, and it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna affect projects, and you know, it's the old straw that broke the camel's back. You know, remember I said about this could be the profit line item, and then that kills the project. So, but it's it's this great experience, but you know, when you when you come up with uh, proposals like this, when municipalities. And there's evidence from other jurisdictions that they have already failed and that there's really no point to it, but you go ahead anyways, then it then it you're into political smoke and smoke and mirrors, right? You're announcing and you get these announcements where we're ensuring that we're gonna have an amount, you know, affordable housing and stuff like that. Well, it's just you know, it's not true, right? And uh and then the my overriding concern there are two things is uh one is um shelter right it's it's a it's a need uh and uh, a lot of people don't have it right now and this is canada we're supposed to be one of the leading nations in the world and and we should be we should be <laughs> you know we've got more space than anybody else we should be housing people properly and yeah. uh yeah
1: and i and i think that um you made a good point around you know all the you know there could come a time where all of a sudden we're not experiencing the type of growth that we're experiencing right now and and i've said it a few times in 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 interviews myself where there's an economic development perspective to to housing because right now we're attracting businesses we're attracting people from all around the world uh to set up shop to settle in in, in toronto because there's opportunities across you know a vast diversity of sectors you know the, we're the most you know, socially diverse and economically diverse, you know, regions in, in, in North America, yet, you know, we could, that could come to an end if people don't feel that they can find affordable housing, it could come to an end if businesses don't feel they can attract skilled workers because of an affordable housing issue. And, and so, you know, thinking about that and sort of last question for you uh, today is that, you know, in that sort of provincial municipal dichotomy, um, you know, what kind of policies do you recommend, you know, looking forward? I mean, maybe through the lens of the upcoming municipal election, but you know, what what are two or three things that you know you'd like to see uh, policymakers talking about over the next few months and and, and hopefully be implemented, you know, over the next uh, you know political term, whether we're talking about the, the provincial level or, or municipal level?
2: Well, you know, as I said, I think the province has been, I'll start with the province, I think they've been handling this uh, uh, um, as well as can be handled. It's kind of like grabbing the tiger by the tail, right? Uh, Because of the uh, very serious NIMBY opposition and municipal political machinations that uh, have been occurring. I mean, the, the 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 entire thing has been a sort of insidious in in some respects but you know the province has really stepped up they get it they've announced these things they don't want to steamroll over the municipalities even though the province has the authority to do that through the planning right. act municipalities are creatures of the province but they don't want to do that but on the other hand you got to make change happen so it's kind of like it's like jigging for cod you know (laughs) you you gotta kind of get them moving and and cajole them and whatever else like that i don't think there's any mystery that you know in the spring when minister clark said the municipalities uh, are vital players in this and they need to get with the program my words not his right uh, and then of course they you know you had the commitment to the 1.5 they got reelected and then there were various meetings there's the amo conference stuff like that and then John Tory comes out with his housing uh, proposal following on the heels of the strong mayor uh, announcement interesting timing right So um, and and John Tory's proposals by and large I mean there's some details to get sorted out there but sure. by and large are, are, are um, very good and, 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 and uh, very supportable. And I'm pleased that he's doing that. So he's going to be running on that. Does it cover everything? No. Uh, you know, like, for example, you've still got serious problems with, uh, you know, for example, students housing, you know, we've right. got a college and university system that does very well off foreign students, but they didn't look to where are these students going to live. For example, so there's issues there. There's issues with, uh, you know, rooming houses and, and, and that kind of thing. And they, the, you know, uh, um, rooming houses are very good. I mean, there were the lifeblood of Toronto's earlier economic development with people coming here, they couldn't afford an apartment or a rental, but they at least could get a, a decent room in a place where there was some standards and so on and so forth and live until they could work their way up. So, so the municipalities really have to get on board with some of this stuff because uh, you know, if they don't, I believe the province is gonna have to come in. And and I personally I think it makes sense anyways to come in with some province wide rules. I mean, that's why we created the Ontario Building Code in 1975, was right. because we have municipalities all over the place on, on building codes. Um, you know, we've got that on climate change issues now, but that's another subject altogether that that we're dealing with, with everyone running around declaring climate change emergencies when we've got a fantastic building code and it's evolving and it's getting greener and greener. We don't need people going off in different directions, often who don't know anything about building science or, uh, you know, uh, uh, technical standards. Um, So, uh, but, you know i think the municipalities if they're reading the tea leaves right and i i would bet those conversations have been happening which is to say you need to you know change how you're doing things or we're going to do it for you now an important step strong mayor right i mean you know john tory the, the various departments in the city don't report to him the city manager doesn't report to him but he's the mayor He's got responsibility, but he doesn't have the authority. So there, are, aside from housing, there are other good reasons for having a mayor who is actually the CEO. Right. And uh, and you'll notice that one of his proposals yesterday was this uh, uh, development growth uh, department because a strong mayor in Toronto can now create those and create an entity that can go around some of these internal barriers to housing development, because sometimes, you know, it's like in business, sometimes old organizations or old departments, you just can't fix them. You got to create something new and go around it and get the job done. And the job that needs to be done there, I mean, we've done the research on this and documented and approved it, that over the years, it's just taken longer and longer and longer to get things approved. Yep. It's getting more and more complicated, more and more costly. and um, And it's got nothing to do with the size or complexity of projects. It's just and then you know the Ontario Land Tribunal, right? Uh, that really that that's another piece of I think what needs to be hap- happen here, and the government's announced some changes there because right. if if you do have those blockages, you've got to be able to appeal it quickly and get it done. So I don't think that again, uh, you know, the province doesn't want to be heavy handed here. I think they've said exactly what needs to be done and for the right reasons. And the, you know, because, you know, we've had the tail wagging the dog for too long. We've had municipal councillors individually that can carry a vote on something enormously important because the other councillors will back them up to defend their right to determine what goes on in their ward. The only problem is a ward is part of the bigger whole and the province has carriage of the economic well-being of the province overall. And this is where, again, we have to have the housing because without the housing, we can't have, we can't grow and we can't um, sustain our you know wealth and prosperity to the extent that we have it now, although that's, that's starting to suffer yeah. uh, and we got to get it on track.
1: Yeah, I think you know, and, and that's a really good point. I think we have seen some shifts in that relationship between the province and and and, and municipalities, and I think it'll be the topic of debate as we move towards the uh, the elections in the in in the fall. And so I, I think you know, you've given our listeners a lot to chew on today as they sort of think about that that municipal election coming up, and and uh, you know also you know I'm sure more provincial announcements to to come on the on the on the housing file. So again, you know, thanks again to to taking part. Uh, in, in, in today's podcast and, and providing our listeners with some insight into, you know, whole housing development overall in Ontario and, and certainly drilling down into the uh, into the development charge issue again. So thanks very much. My pleasure,
2: Jason. Anytime. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: No problem. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to all of you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.
0: That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.